Hello and welcome to Some Other Sphere, a podcast exploring our strange world, one conversation at a time, hosted by Rick Palmer. My guest for this episode is Rebecca Hardcastle-Wright, who joined me to talk about her work in the study and application of something she terms as exoconsciousness. This describes a natural state of mind attained after a person has experienced what would best be understood as contact with alien intelligence, though not in the fashion most might think of. Rebecca has over 30 years experience as a mind-body therapist and hypnotherapist, and is the founder and director of the non-profit Institute for Exoconsciousness, which aims to help experiences of the phenomenon use it in the creation of new technologies and development of new forms of communication, education and art, with the aim of better preparing mankind for a future where spacefaring and interaction with alien intelligence is the norm. This might sound like science fiction, but Rebecca's background includes working alongside Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell as part of his international Quantrek science team, who researched zero-point energy, the nature of consciousness, and the presence of ETs on Earth. The better understanding of these concepts and how that could be applied has long been of interest to the armed forces and intelligence agencies of many countries, not to mention big business. So it's definitely something that has been taken seriously at the highest level for a very long time but discouraged as a matter of interest for the general public. Rebecca's work is really interesting, to say the least, and a perfect subject matter for some other sphere. We had a fun, wide-ranging chat. Enjoy! Rebecca, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me, Rick. Oh, you're very welcome. To begin with, can we just start by telling us a little bit about your background and the main principles of exoconsciousness? I'm a, um, I've been a childhood experiencer since I, uh, early childhood for me. I both experienced extraterrestrials as well as multidimensionals and am very cognizant of my psychic intelligence and abilities and use them with discernment and care. I have been a lifelong experiencer, so to me what that means in terms of exoconsciousness is that I've worked to integrate um, my experiences into who I am, into my self-identity, so that it's not some, you know, separated strange ability or um, connection that I have, but that my psychic intelligence and my connections are, are part of who I am. And I'm at peace with them and, um, and take care and nurture them. I can go into some different facets of where I've gone through my life, um, but just let me know what you're interested in me sharing. Of course, yeah, that sounds great. I think it'd be good if it's okay to get an example of an experience that you've had that sort of typifies the concept of exoconsciousness. Um, how about if we start first with maybe a, the, my childhood experiences, because they really cover the whole spectrum of what I'm still experiencing to this day. Mm-hmm. And that is that I was an, ex, uh, uh, an, an ET experiencer. I've had experiences since childhood with, with many different um, uh, groups and races of extraterrestrials. I went to what I call star school. 
I remember being on, on the craft. Um, I received downloads and information from them. Um, I, um, I, when I go to sleep, I think I probably upload information to them. And um, what I also did as a child was I also went into the underground. So I kind of went into like multidimensional worlds. Um, I remember I lived in um, a mining, a town that had mines. And I remember as a child just kind of going down underground and um, living in that in that dimension. And so one of the primary principles of exoconsciousness is learning that you have a multidimensional mind and not being afraid of it, but actually um, allowing it to enrich your life and um, be a part of who you are. So um, I very much went into the underworld when I was a child. And then when I was, and I was comfortable there. And then when I was an adult, I, re, I remember I, I, I was born in a state called West Virginia. It's a kind of an Appalachian mm -hmm. mountain state. And then when I um, moved out to Phoenix, Arizona, I remember one, one day I was living in this condo and somebody had given me a book on shamanism and I'm reading this book on shamanism. I'm thinking, you know, a lot of shamans go not only out, but they also go down into the inner earth. And I'm like, oh, that, I was a shaman when I was a child. So, you know, this is all very interrelated to each other. And um, that's what humans, humans have all these abilities. So in terms of exoconsciousness, um, initially exoconsciousness came to me as a word. I was a single mom. I was had three kids at home that I was raising. I was working and busy. And one morning, um, the, my I don't know if you remember those uh, radio alarm clocks we used to have where the radio station would come on and play music oh, yeah, yeah. and kind of a gentle way to wake up. And um, so I remember my radio alarm clock went on and I reached over and and hit that snooze button that lets you sleep for like five minutes. And my head hit the pillow. And I was like, oh, my golly. And I, I don't want to get up. I got these kids to get to school. I've, I've got to get to work, pack lunches, buses, you know, school drop off. And my head hit the pillow. And all of a sudden, this word just exoconsciousness just came into my mind, Rick. And it just, it wasn't really that it came into my mind to be more clear about it. It literally came into my body. Um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with like religion talks about the word became flesh. That really mm -hmm. happened to me. I had that experience of that word coming literally into the flesh of my body. And I knew then that it was the anchor word for the work that I was to do here on earth, um, literally for the rest of my, my earth life. And you know, we all know enough about consciousness that this is probably something that's been ongoing in my life. I've probably done this work before and I'm, I'm coming in again to do it. So initially what, well, um, what I did was I, I connected with some other people in the UFO ET field who I knew I'd been working at in that field, you know, for quite some time. And at that time there was this real push to be academic. So, I thought, okay, I, I can see the, necess the, the necessity for that. So I began to, to define exoconsciousness as the um, extraterrestrial innate abilities and dimensions and, um, and, and um, 
I, I don't use that term anymore, so it's, I've forgotten how all, but that was of human consciousness, so that our human consciousness had this um, extraterrestrial ability and that we were able to study it, so academically study it. And that's still a big thing to me. I do think that we need to have more of that academic study of these kind of parapsychic, paranormal, um, psychic, extraterrestrial, multidimensional consciousness aspects of humans. And then um, I moved from Phoenix to Washington, D.C., and I began to work with Dr. Edgar Mitchell. We can talk about that later, my work with Quantrek and Zero Point Energy. And um, I began to see that it was more about just not just an academic kind of objective arm's length study, but that I wanted to define exoconsciousness has the innate ability of humans. Humans all have this innate ability to connect and communicate and uh, very importantly, co-create with extraterrestrials and multidimensionals, that we all have this cosmic consciousness that we're seated with. It's part of our human body. It's part of our human brain and nervous system. And um, that's what I that's what I work with is helping people come to um, come to realize that this is an important part of their life. And I've developed something called exoconscious coaching. I work with a lot, mm-hmm. um, most of, I'm a therapist, but most of my clients are people that are psychic and they know this information already. So it's really just about working with them and helping them kind of draw out this awareness that they have. Right. Okay. And just going back to those experiences that you had as a child, how did, uh-huh. um, did you have, someone to talk to after they happened and because it, it, it sounds like you adapted to that experience which first some people might sound quite scary pretty well you handled you seem to have handled it very well so how did you sort of come to understand the experiences that you were having as a child well as a child um and I'm a mom so I, I saw this in my own children I I feel that children are this kind of seamless being, you know, they're kind of, one of the the tools I use is hypnotherapy. And one of the things you become aware of is like, wow, you know, when you're a child, you're kind of hypnotized about half your life. (laughs) You know, you're just living in this, this other, uh, other dimension of consciousness. And it just, it's seamless for you. And for me, these experiences were seamless, you know, maybe part of it was, you know, growing up in that kind of um, mining, there were a lot of Scotch-Irish, uh, around, English, Scotch-Irish around where I lived. You know, it really wasn't anything that was, you know, psychic abilities weren't really looked upon as being something that you did not want to have. But as a child, I never really knew enough to even question it. I, I do remember, though, that a, around, um, I would say junior high school, for us, that's like um, somebody that's like 13, 14 years old. I, I, I remember that the way that I worked in life and the approach that I had to life and the experiences that I had were very different than my friends. And at that time, I I kind of began to back away a little bit from my psychic intelligence and, and really started to just live in the world. And then I, you know, was edu- went to, you know, university and, um, and, and, and on through many years of, of education. And, and then 
around um, after I'd had begun to have my children, that's when I really, because when you're a mother, or you're a parent, I should say, you need to tap into that inner resource inside of you. And I knew that there were these experiences inside of me and I didn't, I didn't know how to talk about them and how to relate them to other people. And as life would have it, I, um, my husband and I decided to move to Phoenix, Arizona, and I became affiliated with uh, a woman named Ruth Hover, who became my mentor. She was just truly invaluable in my life. And she, she headed up what really had become at that point, the longest running, uh, extraterrestrial experiencer group in the nation here in the, in the States. And she worked with John Mack and, uh, Leo Sprinkle and a lot of the, the sort of foundational people of, of, um, uh, working with extraterrestrial experiencers. And that was really the first time, Rick, that I was able to sit in a room of people and as an adult and, um, talk about my experiences and hear my friends talk about their experiences. And I got, I got in touch at that time with, um, wanting to know more and more about what these experiences, what's, what was the kind of the pearl of wisdom inside of these experiences and, and what did it mean? And I just, I did a really, really deep dive for years into, into consciousness because I always knew like when that word uh, exo consciousness came to me, I just knew that, that, that was the path that I was to be on that, that, um, learning about cosmic consciousness was something that I needed to know and that I would be helped with that. I that, um, people and ideas out in the field of consciousness, ideas in the field of consciousness, and also, um, uh, beings would come and, and assist me with that. Mm, right. Okay. And, and the beings that people encounter in these experiences, um, that would define someone as an exoconsciousness human. Are they both corporeal and non-corporeal beings, or is it more non-corporeal entities? Well, um, that's an interesting question because I, for one, feel that when you tap into your exoconsciousness and you begin to integrate your ability, especially, I think, in terms of communication and co-creation, we could talk about what that is with extraterrestrials and multidimensionals, that you yourself become um, aware of your, some people call, call it high, that you're a hybrid, or I just call it that you're an exoconscious human, but you're, hmm. you're aware that there's something about you uh, biologically and um, mentally and physically that, that has a resonance with, with these beings. And that said, um, many of the beings come to me um, in a non non corporeal uh, way. I mean, there's uh, there's orbs orbs that I think are intelligent beings. There's um, extraterrestrials that show up as as um, as having a body that I can see. That's the other thing about answering this question is that. I think once you become exoconscious, you can also be aware of the fact that you can see beyond the spectrum of normal sight. So you're seeing beings or you're seeing orbs or you're seeing craft 
and other people aren't seeing that. So they are, they do have, they have an embodiment that maybe you, you are able to see, but others aren't, if that makes sense. So I think it, it kind of runs the gamut. And I personally um, try to be aware that um, I want to see what's in my sight. I, I want to hear. I think exoconscious humans also have an ability for all the senses to be magnified. You know, their sense of taste, certainly their sense of touch, all of those senses are magnified and they feel and they see things and they, they literally feel energies that, you know, maybe a, a, a human that isn't really interested in that this life maybe wouldn't see or feel. Right. Okay. Yeah. I often find that sometimes people want something that's sort of easy to understand and put a term on. And I imagine with the work that you do, sometimes that can be quite difficult. <laughs> well, they just keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> I find, yeah, labels are, um, uh, well, that's why I, I think it behooves us as an exoconscious community to move into really talking in terms of symbols because you know, when you really start to unpack a symbol, there's a lot of language within that symbol that is very different than like a meme or, you know, a word even. So I think that enhances our communication. Right. Yeah. And I think science is going to enhance our communication also. I think that all of these, all of these areas of knowledge that are opening to look at this phenomenon that, um, it, it, it's going to sort of take away the barriers. And, and I do think that um, extraterrestrial, the extraterrestrial presence, as we could call it, or the multidimensional presence, I mean, that's always been um, part of religion. You know, world religions have all talked about this. And um, it's just now our, you know, is our, our culture is beginning to um, be cognizant of it and be more comfortable with it. Do you find that people are relatively open-minded to the concept of your work? I, I mean, in the sort of the broader science community, I know that my ufology, it seems to be more widely accepted now than perhaps it used to be. And I'm just wondering in your own work, how you found it with, with the aims of what you're trying to do. I think it has um, vastly improved. I, I agree with you. Um, it's funny. I, I lived for six years in Washington D.C. You know, very political. So today, everything that you know that we read about in terms of mainstream, it's just all you know put into some kind of a political slant. But um, that was the first place I had ever lived that people actually laughed at me. <laughs> Oh, like kind of sort of, I, I remember, you know, sometimes I would tell people what I did. I'm always really upfront with people. Like, this is my area. This is, this is what I do. This is my area of research. And, um, they would like cackle at me <laughs> like, Oh, you can't possibly be doing that. And, um, but I think when you kind of get outside of that political mindset or even that kind of Hollywood film, filmology around extraterrestrials or, you know, the military, you know, it's a national security threat. Um, when you get out of those that are all very present, certainly in Washington, DC, that you, you begin to meet people. And it's interesting, Rick, because the, 
we do in our Institute for Exoconsciousness, IXO, we can talk about that later, but, you know, we do work with scientists. And one of the things that I become cognizant of is the fact that, and one of our friends um, on our on our board has also spoken, she and I have spoken at length about this, that sometimes scientists who are doing, say, a quantum type of research or uh, research into like alternative forms of energy, um, like fusion or, or plasma energy, they, they will kind of have these Tesla like experiences, but, and, you know, integrate them into their, their work, but um, they don't have the community or the language to talk about it. Hmm. So among their peers, they um they they kind of push back on it and i think that um i work with dr edgar mitchell the astronaut apollo astronaut dr edgar mitchell for um about six years and w one of the things that he was trying to do as an astronaut and very much you know highly regarded also as a scientist was how do we come up with this language so that um, scientists can talk to the metaphysical people with metaphysical knowledge or the people, the exoconscious, how can science talk to exoconsciousness? And, you know, he came up with what he calls the quantum hologram, which is very similar to the Akashic records, kind mm -hmm. of that there's this, there's this information out in the field of, of consciousness that we have access to. And um, also math, you know, speaking in a math language, because math is sort of a, a language that, you know, that every person across all um, all international languages is able to speak that language of math. So I think we're finding ways to communicate, and um, I think that humans are certainly making a a vast leap into this. And I think it's driven by a lot of things. I think it's driven by you know we can talk about that because that's an exciting thing to talk about. But I think it's driven by um, certainly by these new forms of energy that are coming forth, that to use these new forms of energy, you need to have the, the, the consciousness to do it. And also, I think the whole consciousness science and quantum science is, is opening to people to talking about, you know, con consciousness science is full of people from the eastern part of the world that are very attuned and, and feel feel very much at home talking about metaphysical knowledge. And then I think the whole area of healing is just busting everything wide open with um, people tapping into their consciousness abilities to literally heal themselves. That's usually when you're an experiencer, that's the first thing. One of the first things you do is you become a healer. <laughs> like, okay, let's use this muscle first. That's like number one muscle in line. So yeah, I think it's coming from a lot of different, uh, points of entry that are opening to us as exoconscious humans. I think the space certainly, you know, the United Kingdom certainly active in, in the whole, in the whole space sector, as is the United States and, you know, many countries in the EU, as well as, you know, Brazil, countries like Brazil, China. I think when you move into this, these, these sectors, um, consciousness has to expand in order for you to be effective in those in those fields. I, I wrote a short book called um, How Exoconscious Humans Guide Our Space Fearing Future because uh, exoconscious humans are 
belong in space. We, we belong in the science space sector. And our language and our abilities and our experiences belong there. We, we belong in every sector, which is really one of the goals of the Institute for Exoconsciousness. I'm interested to know, do you think that human civilizations have achieved this state, this exoconsciousness ability before? And it's something that in the West, at least, we've lost to an extent. I think so. And I, I feel that, you know, certainly you can look at Lemuria or you can look at Atlantis, these, um, the, the Mayans, certainly these ancient civilizations that, you know, hold these amazing symbolic and um, geographical monuments of, of their knowledge and know that something, Egypt, you know, certainly know that something else is going on and has been going on here. And I think it's, um, that the alternative researchers have really been the one who, ones who have, you know, brought this forward for all of us to begin to look at, well, you know, maybe our timeline isn't accurate. You know, maybe our historical timeline isn't <laughs> accurate, but Rick, I think it also brings up the point of the whole issue of, you know, we as souls and, you know, where's our soul been and was our soul in Lemuria was our soul in Atlantis. And if so, are we coming back here? And is our culture becoming aware of those of us who are coming back here to to share this knowledge again and maybe this time not make so many mistakes? <laughs> Hopefully, anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, because if you look at a civilization like ancient Egypt, they had a very sophisticated understanding of of the other world. And the universe in, the, in their own way. And it, it does seem like they had a complex understanding of their reality in a way that's, that sounds similar to what you're describing with your work and the way that they interact with these beings. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, um, I, I, not to trivialize it, but it almost feels like when you become exoconscious, it's, it's, it's almost like like you 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 pick up the pick up your your phone and and dial up your mentor and and talk to them or dial up your colleague in the case of co-creation you dial up your colleague and and you and you don't even dial up anymore but you just press mm -hmm. a button and you're connected with them i think there's a this whole ability to communicate is um linking humans in ways that i i want to back up here a little bit though rick because I, I want to be clear that I, I think that there have been cultures that have maintained this ability. I look certainly yeah. at the Tibetan culture or Ethiopian culture where they sort of have this purity of consciousness, certainly people in China, this, this purity of consciousness, these spiritual adepts. And I think also in the West and terms of like some of the Catholic saints, I mean, they were doing this consciousness work. They were levitating, you know, certainly you know, Padre Pio, people like that, out of Catholicism, and, and, and they were adepts, and they, they were using this ability. So I, I don't think that the exoconscious ability really ever went away. I think that it has been covered up. I think it's been, um, um, hijacked in some way, sabotaged in other ways, because it's a very powerful ability. So um, 
you know, right now are here, I can speak for the U.S. where I live, you know, we're building out this um, sort of computer platform, satellite linked, space fence, um, technocratic, uh, um, driven um, humans, putting hacking into humans and sticking them up on the platform as, a, as another resource of the platform. That's my, what, really what my new book's about. So, um, you know, part of that is to shut down consciousness. And that's the question that I ask in the book. Um, it's called um, Exoconscious Humans. And um, it's all about declaiming your psychic intelligence in a transhuman world. Like once my children and my grandchildren get hacked, um, mm. can they still have the same experiences of consciousness? Once they're a device on the Internet of Things or a device on the Internet of Biology, can their, can their mind still move out into the field of consciousness as in, in the way that my mind has been able to move? Uh, that's a huge question for us to look at as humans right now. Mm, definitely. I, I know that you described the exoconsciousness human experiences um, as a CE6, a a close encounter of the sixth kind. Can you just talk a little bit more about that? Right. That's kind of um, CE was close encounter. It was formed by Alan Hynek and his 1972 book about UFO experience. He was the, the scientist that worked with the government in terms of um, bringing in information about UFOs. And he talked about um, uh close encounter experiences. He had three of them. You know, did you see the craft? Did you interact with the craft? That sort of thing. Uh, did the craft interact with you? And then Jacques Vallée, the famous ufologist and um, computer scientist, Jacques Vallée came up with what's called a CE4. So by Jacques Vallée's work, he did a lot. You're probably familiar with him because he did a lot with um, folklore, especially mm. a lot of like... Um, folklore in in the in, uh, in Britain and also in Scotland and Ireland and very interesting how he would correlate these um, encounters in folklore it's called passport to Manjonia so he would correlate these these this folklore tales with actual people who were talking about having um, extraterrestrial experiences so for him, he was really kind of heavy into the abduction perspective of, of um, close encounters. And then Greer, of course, Stephen Greer, um, CE5, and his is more about like, I'm going to look up into the sky and see a UFO. So I'm going to, I'm going to bring these bands of people together and we're, we're going to sit out on the lawn or out on, you know, some spiritual, um, location geographic spiritual location and we're going to be kind of upward driven and we're, we're going to look for these orbs and look for this connection and and try to communicate with these and it's more about sort of this mutual voluntary contact between us and these these um, lights that we see in the sky so for exoconsciousness we don't look up in the sky we actually look within and we talk more about the whole transformation of our physical body, uh, transformation of our mind, transformation of our kind of psychological um, perspective of who we are as, as cells, if self. And we move a lot more beyond just the, con just the contact experience, 
the initial contact experience. Maybe that's the door that's kind of the initiation door that opens for you. But it's really for us uh, not about I saw a UFO or an ET appeared to me or I'm conscious of ETs, but it's really about integrating that um, exoconscious CE6 is about integrating that into your entire life where that becomes your exoconscious self-identity. Hmm. Okay. So if someone's having these, had an experience that would kind of fit under the exoconsciousness category, in terms of the work that the Institute does, how do they interact with these people to kind of explore this exoconsciousness in more detail and, and, and meet the goals of, of the Institute? Well, I, I started forming the Institute for Exoconsciousness in around 2016. And while I was still in Washington, D.C., and what I did, Rick, was I just, I had a lot of friends. So <laughs> I make friends. So <laughs> I just had friends all over the world. And I'm like, let's get together and have a mastermind and talk, talk about what we as experiencers can bring to the world and how we can do it together. And that went on for a couple years. And then I left Washington, D.C. I came back here and lived in, uh, in Phoenix again. And, um, and I um, founded a 501c3, a nonprofit here in, uh, in, in Phoenix, but it's a, a federal U.S., you know, internationally recognized nonprofit. And um, we now call it IXO. So what IXO does, we have actually two uh, missions that we are looking towards. And the first mission is to be supportive of, to, to be supportive of who we call exoconscious entrepreneurs. And those are people that are um, actually doing something with their contact and communication that they've had. So this is kind of an important concept because ex exoconscious humans within the Institute are people that are literally using their contact. So they're, they use it as a healer or they use it as an artist or they use it in their science and technology. So it's putting their psychic uh, intelligence to use. And we're not really an organization to help people. Um, how do I say this? To help people have contact. There's lots of organizations that do that. You know, certainly Stephen Greer does that. Um, Costa in a group called ET Let's Talk does that. What we are is, you know, once you've had that content contact and once you've integrated it, certainly, you know, you know my exoconscious, my exoconscious coaching work helps work with that. So um, that that you begin to integrate that into who you are and then begin to use it. So that's more of the person that would, you know, benefit from affiliation with with um, with the institute with IXO. So we want to support these people and our vision of what we see of the future is that we are co-creating an exoconscious civilization. And by co-creation, I mean that these exoconscious humans come to the realization that they are working on a peer-to-peer, -peer, okay, a peer-to-peer -peer collaborative relationship with extraterrestrials to bring in this knowledge and ideas and uh, innovations and importantly inventions down in, in, into this this earth plane where we live so it's not really about um 
you know, I was struck by an idea or um, these ETs are so much smarter than we are. So, you know, we have to bow down to them as gods. You know, this is really putting the human extraterrestrial multidimensional relationship on a whole different footing. It's putting it on an equal peer to peer footing where we are not only co-created with them, but they are with us also. And um, so we are benefiting them and they are benefiting us. And um, that a lot of that exchange then comes from that understanding of what the field of consciousness is and how it can be used. So we as a human and as an exoconscious human become aware of the fact that we, that we uh, transmit into the field of consciousness and can intend that to be directed to say a multidimensional or an extraterrestrial and that we also can receive. So we're also a, a receptor that receives information and that we can, a third thing, go into this field of consciousness and literally co-create in that field of consciousness. And then within that field, then ETs, multidimensionals, angelics, whoever benefit with what's co-created there. And we as humans then bring that down into, into where we live and how we live. So people can say, you know, what if the ETs are all bad and, and uh, what if, you know, we shouldn't be even talking about ETs. It just scares me. And, you know, my, my response to that is, um, well, if the inventions don't work and if the invention isn't about the welfare of humans and the planet, then, then it's not going to work. And we're, that's not the type of inventions that we're going to be bringing in. That's a simple answer. So we're only bringing in inventions and ideas that for the benefit of, of the planet. So, so our first goal, uh, goal is, um, mission goal is to assist these exoconscious entrepreneurs. We're talking about having, um, incubators. We're talking about networks. We're talking about a sharing of knowledge among humans and, but also humans that have this, uh, this connection and this co-creative, uh, ability that they've, that, that they've learned to use. And then our second uh, mission is that we're, we have what's called an IXO Academy that's going to be offering, we're, we're new, so a, a lot of this is in the, in the works, but we're all going to be offering um, training, so specific training. So I want to be, uh, say for instance, I want to be an exoconscious healer and I want to learn how to use this, these ET energetics, or I, I want to learn how to create a clinic where I'm working directly with the, with, with the ETs and the multidimensionals, or, you know, I, I want to heal someone with angelic energies, then, um, we'd be doing training on that training people of, um, in all these different, you know, fields of, um, of that, that we'll be working on. So, um, so really quickly, the, the fields I'm going to, are um, biology. So we'll be working in biology, which of course includes healing. Uh, we'll be training and uh, offering incubators and coaching in terms of agriculture. Like what's the new agriculture that we can bring in with these energies? Uh, technology, certainly consciousness technologies, um, how to how to communicate, communication abilities. And that would include star languages or symbolism, who are working in terms of how do we build an exoconscious civilization around the economy uh, and a, a just, a, a just and fair economy. 
uh, certainly education. How can we educate people maybe in a different way that we've never thought of before? And then um, the whole spirituality and art. So those are those are the real fields that we are we're concentrating in on at this point. Do you find that the people who've had these experiences of exoconsciousness and, and contact with the types of entities that, that you describe, that they usually have a pre-existing interest in these ideas or can it happen to anybody? I think it can happen to anybody. I think a lot. I think especially, for example, we'll go back to that whole um, science. So, 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 so we have a person that, um, that maybe grows up and maybe, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll say, you know, goes to Oxford or goes to Cambridge and, and goes and, and studies biology and maybe, maybe gets their PhD, but decides that they want to go into some kind of biological research and, and they go to work for some, I don't know, pharmaceutical company or whatever in, in, in London. And they start having these experiences that they become conscious of. And so all that time prior to that, they were unconscious. They could have been happening to them and that that could have been leading them to these different places that they go to, like, you know, for their education or for their work. But there comes a point where they become conscious. And at that point, when they become conscious, that's when their exoconsciousness begins to develop and they begin to work on, on this. And I, I just want to, I, I want to say that there's a lot of, um, very kind of almost magic feeling things that happen when we open our consciousness, like we begin to see synchronicities like Jung talked about, or we, get, we begin to see patterns and things happen very, very quickly. And that's the kind of easy part of exoconsciousness. But the hard part of exoconsciousness is to that then you're held to a higher standard. And what we and at the Institute or IXO, what we call morally autonomous um, individuals, individuals that have a, enough moral autonomy where let's take this person that we've created, like he's worked at this pharmaceutical lab and maybe he's really uncomfortable about, you know, putting in this nanotechnology or this gene technology into these, into these medications and, you know, it hasn't really been proven and he's beginning to have maybe some wariness about it. So he would, the hard part is he's going to have to say, okay, am I going to stay with this pharmaceutical or am I going to move on? Am, am I going to find a a group of people that I can bring my skills and my knowledge and my abilities to who are really working for um, the welfare of the planet and all of its people. And I think that that's hard. That's hard work. And then mm. maybe let's say he finds these people and then the work starts. I mean, we and I exo are workers. I mean, this is really about work. This and this is about being morally autonomous, and this is about holding yourself to a high standard of discernment and a high standard of ethics. And um, it's about working every day. It's about you know getting up and and it's kind of moving that idea or that work down the field. Um, you know, people that built the pyramids of Egypt. You know, whatever energies they used, they still built the pyramids. <laughs> so, 
so we're we're really um, we're civilization builders. Hmm. I mean, overall, it sounds like a more positive experience than a lot of other encounters that people have had with extraterrestrials or these types of beings. It, I mean, I I guess that's what you're talking about when it's a a CE six, really. But there there definitely seems to be a difference between, especially something like an abduction experience, which is you know frightening and. I imagine afterwards you, a person might feel not willing to talk about it or try and forget about it. Whereas with this, the the people that you work with, it seems like it's moreover, it's a positive thing that they experience and, and go through. Well, that's really, I, I, I developed the CE6 idea after I um, was privileged to be um, one of the writers for the book called Beyond UFOs that was put together by Ray Hernandez and the Free Organization. And they had spent um, five years um, surveying experiencers across mm-hmm. the world in, I think, a hundred, actually a hundred countries countries and they so over five years almost 5,000 experiencers in a hundred nearly a hundred countries and they um, what they did was they took this survey material and they asked people to write books write write a chapter about it so they asked me to write it a chapter from my exoconscious perspective of this information of these of these surveys from these experiencers and the thing that it's, it was almost like this, I don't know, this kind of solidifying experience for me because um, when I looked at the, at the real statistics, I mean, in terms of you talk about abduction, abduction's kind of a Hollywood sort of kind of fake news sort of meme that's driven out into society because when you look at what the experiences were saying in this survey that was very scientifically done, um, 90% said they were neither tricked, coerced, or forced into agreement with ETs. Hmm. 80% said they weren't part of this, you know, reproductive breeding program. 75% hmm. said they'd, they'd repeat it again, that it was meaningful in their life. I mean, it's just, it's not the old, you know, scary abduction scenario. Hmm. That's so, interesting. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, but we don't hear that. We just hear the scary stuff. That, but that, that's an interesting point that you raised because I suppose if you don't want people having these experiences, you, you, you scare them into thinking that it's going to be a negative experience, don't you? Well, yeah. And I mean, let's face it, you know, the church has dogma. Hmm. culture has, uh, um, you know, frightening, it's going to scare you. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to abduct you. So there's, you know, and, and, and certainly the internet is just full of this. The internet has fear and and drama. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, these are all ways of controlling human consciousness. That's all they are. It's just somebody trying to control you. Mm. I mean, the Betty and Barney Hill abduction case, that, that really mm-hmm. strikes me as being orchestrated by people. If you had to ask me what I thought it was, I don't think that they met extraterrestrials. I think mm-hmm. they were the victim of a very human plan, <laughs> unfortunately. Kind of like a, a My Lab. A yeah, yeah, abduction. definitely. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not really an, an expert in all that, but I do. I have read deeply into the sort of, you know, because of 
being a therapist and because of being an experienced, I mean, one of the first things you do is you start reading mind control information, you know, from the government, from intelligence, from, you know, different, different studies and that sort of thing. And, you know, you've got to, you have to have, you have to have a deep knowledge of mind control before you can be able to discern. So that's one of the beautiful things about the Institute is, you know, many of us have spent a lifetime of, of learning about these things and, you know, delving into this knowledge. We're, we're not just novices. We're, you know, we're kind of seasoned experiencers. Hmm. And I, I think that anybody that's interested in this field, you need to do your homework about mind control. You need to do your homework about me lab. You need to do your homework about these, you know, these ways because humans are this remarkable remarkable biological um, being that is really all about water and frequency and waves and, and resonance. And that allows us to go into that field of, of consciousness and become co-creators. But, you know, Rick, it also allows us to be manipulated Mm. (laughs) and to be traumatized and to be hurt. So it's sort of a, a gift and a, a not so good gift at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in what you're talking about, it makes me think of things like MK Ultra and the work they would do. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you mm-hmm. think that was an attempt to kind of subvert the abilities that you talk about and are, that can come about through exoconsciousness? Well, I think that MK Ultra, yeah, MK Ultra is a CIA program. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, let's, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Tavistock. I, I know it a little, I know the name. Okay. Yeah. Well, Tavistock and then later on here in America, the Macy, the Macy conferences, um, they were all sort of laid the groundwork after um, post-World War II. So you had the shell shock of uh, World War II and all of the horrific trauma that went on in World War One, and and this these um, institutes kind of scooped up that knowledge and and ran with it. I I don't think that they were trying to target extraterrestrial experiences per se, but I think what they were trying to do. I think some of them were trying to say, you know, how do we not not ever repeat World War One and World War Two? Please, thank you very much. Hmm. But I think others were. Their research, many, many psychologists and sociologists, um, that research then got pulled into intelligence and used by intelligence. And that's where the whole MKUltra programs came from. But that's I, I cover that in my book, um, my, my new book, um, Exoconscious Humans Claiming Your um, Psychic Intelligence in a Transhuman World. So I think that... Uh, you know, national security states, whether they're, you know, Tavistock led or Macy Foundation led or CIA or MK Ultra, I mean, they just they're they're sort of programmed to see an enemy everywhere. <laughs> so if you can if you can control some human minds, you know, well, well that's the as far as I'm concerned, this is just from my perspective. I think human consciousness is the that's the you know we talk about, oh, you know, ETs came here for the gold and, and all these, you know, rare minerals or whatever, but, you know, that's what they're going to capture. But, you know, the big capture for intelligence is the mind. Capture someone's mind and um, you can do whatever you want to do to them. Mm. You own them. 
once you capture their mind, you own them. And that's, that's the whole premise of my book is like, you know, how do we claim our psychic intelligence when someone's trying to own us? Mm. It sounds scary when you put it like that, but, um, but it also sounds empowering. Yeah, definitely. No, I can, yeah. I can see that. You haven't had any uh, men in black knocking on your door, have you, because of your work? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, that's good. I'm glad. <laughs> um, a little while ago, you were talking about the work that you did with Edgar Mitchell. I'd, I'd be really interested. Mm-hmm. I'm sure my listeners would as well to know a little bit more about that. Oh, he was a wonderful man. Um, I had just written a book called um, Exoconsciousness, Your 21st Century Mind. It's where I was sort of flushing out the definition of consciousness and exoconsciousness and, and uh, kind of uh, some, there's some tools in there. If your listeners are interested to sort of, you know, begin to open up your, your consciousness or certainly my exoconscious coaching. So I just written that book and I was going to do kind of the book thing, you know, go around and talk about my book and Edgar tapped me on the shoulder and he had come to Phoenix and he was like, you know, come work with me. I, I want you, I want you on my team. So I just, um, you know, what do you do? An astronaut called hmm. and you say, yeah, sure. <laughs> so we were working on something called Quantrek, which is zero point energy. And, but we were also working on zero point energy and as it related to the extraterrestrial presence and consciousness in general. So, um, I believe that all of these new forms of energy have something in common with extraterrestrials or extraterrestrial lineage here on earth or our extraterrestrial as a lineage as beings and also um, our, our consciousness, this, you know, wonderful resource of consciousness that each of us, each of us has. So um, yeah, I worked with him and then uh, my husband was born in Washington DC. And so the, uh, the request came, would you come and will you move to DC? And I'm like, yeah, why wouldn't we move to DC? Like half our kids live there. Yeah, let's go to DC. So we moved to DC and, and I worked for him there. And um, I worked for some wonderful um, inventors, which is really the seed um, of, of what I've done with the, with the Institute, because I met, I met inventors through Edgar, you know, trying to bring out this whole research about zero point energy who were extraterrestrial experiencers and who, who needed to be supported to bring their inventions out. So really my work with Edgar seeded what, what we're doing today at the Institute. So I'm very much in his uh, uh, gratitude and legacy and, and, and all of that. So um, we had an interesting thing. We set up in a, uh, I set up a, um, a meeting with John Podesta at the White House to, as a kind of an introductory meeting to work with, um, with Obama on disclosure, Edgar and I to work with Obama on disclosure. And so um, we had a meeting set up with John Podesta. He's an American political consultant, very, very active in UFOs and the UFO world, quote unquote, and um, got it all set up and for 2014 and Edgar got sick. And subsequently after that, he passed away. But he mm. couldn't come to, um, to 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 the meeting, and so we ended up canceling it. But interestingly enough, two years later, my colleague friend in Canada calls me on the phone, and he's like, "Get out of bed." I'm like, "Why?" And he goes, "Because all of your emails to, to John Podesta are on WikiLeaks." 
Wow, okay. So I still, you know, every now and then somebody from like, who's like doing a deep dive into the WikiLeaks will call me and like go, are you real? And is this real? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I always answer the phone. I'm like, yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) So I wrote a few blogs about that. But yeah, Edgar and I had a good time. He's, uh, he was, uh, he went out on a limb, to say the least, about Mm. um, the extraterrestrial presence and disclosure and was really a friend to the uh, disclosure community. I'm still very active in the disclosure community. I've got a lot of friends and colleagues that are part of that. So um, even though my main work at this point is with Exoconscious Humans and the Institute. Mm. I mean, did he talk to you much about his experiences, Edgar? Edgar was a scientist. So Edgar was a scientist in that um, traditional science vein where he had had many um, psychic experiences. He'd been healed of cancer and, you know, work with Yuri Geller and people like that. So, but there was always something about Edgar that I don't know if it was kind of that imprinting, that objective scientist imprinting that he was Uh, part of, but he always kept everything at arm's length. And, you know, let's be, let's be serious here because he's part of NASA. So he was a military man. He was a Navy fighter pilot and, you know, he worked for NASA. So I'm sure he went to the Cape, you know, he went to NASA, went, went there every month to be, you know, debriefed and, and to be educated. And so I think that um, he sort of had a, foot in two worlds, quite frankly. So he was very um, open about the fact that, yes, there were a deep levels of intelligence and military and government that were work and, and also corporates, the corporations who were working with extraterrestrial um, knowledge and extraterrestrial material, let's say. But in terms of talking about his own um, ET encounters, he, he didn't really speak much about that. But of course, you know, he, he helped to coin that word overview. I don't know if you're familiar of it with it, but when he was coming back from the moon, he did some psychic experiments with a man in Chicago. And as he, it's like every 24 hours that space capsule would rotate and he had, he had downtime when he's coming back from the moon and he, um, he he talked about the fact that all of a sudden he knew that like looking at that overview of earth that um everything that he knew much much that he knew was not true and i think that really moved him into sort of an advanced consciousness the opportunity to move into advanced consciousness came with the whole space travel mm, i mean i can completely believe that i imagine traveling into space must must be a life-changing experience in many ways yeah it'll be great when yeah when we you know we we can all move into space but you know we can all astral travel and go into space (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i i would love to do that (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's very cool so you mentioned disclosure uh, a few minutes ago and i i just want to talk to you a little bit about that I mean, do you think that will happen? And if it does, what do you think will be disclosed? 
Oh, I think it's already happened. I think when that what was like two years ago, 2018 or whatever it was, when they when the New York Times, you know, ran a story about um, to the Stars Initiative and Tom DeLonge and you know Chris Mellon and all these people that are supposedly came out of the CIA, came out of the came out of the Pentagon, Harry Reid. I think that was disclosure, in my opinion, that when that that hit not only, you know, the New York Times, but all the main press across the world that I think that was that was disclosure. And um, that today, um, certainly, you know, there's, you know, talk here about, you know, the Pentagon having a having a study um, group, another kind of project blue book, if you will to study what we know about extraterrestrials. So I think that it's going to, you know, I'm working with a group now that's talking about, you know, in 2021, you know, after the election, you know, are we going to have congressional hearings on the UFO presence? So, um, but then again, you know, that's government and government will always, um, I, I think that there's something called exopolitics. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. Okay. So exopolitics is pretty much disclosure driven. So exopolitics very much uh, felt that in order to move the ball down the field of disclosure, that we needed to keep talking about the whole threat to national defense, that that's the only way you're going to get the government's attention. So Tom DeLong and To the Stars Initiative and Lou Elizondo and, the, you know, these people, you know, you notice they're, they're always talking about threat. They're always talking about, you know, national intelligence. You know, these Navy fighter pilots saw this, you know, saw these, saw these UFOs or whatever. So it's kind of like government always runs from that mindset. And um, so I, I think that that decision that whoever made that decision to run disclosure from that threat mindset that that's what we have now so um that's where you're gonna that's where you're gonna get disclosure so you know when you come from that mindset i think that you leave leave a lot out you leave a lot unsaid hmm. from your own experience do you think that describing ufos as being piloted by extraterrestrials and the main source of ufo sightings being extraterrestrial craft do you think that's a sort of a more digestible explanation that the government a government would be content with rather than say something like a breakaway civilization so these craft aren't from far away they're actually from earth but it's just a group of people that have access to advanced technology or have created it well i think two things are happening that's that's a wonderful question um i think two things are happening i think number one that um this uh, breakaway civilization or this, you know, secret technology, I think certainly Trump by creating the space force, mm. especially when he came out and said, we need another space force. <laughs> I don't know if you know what he said. <laughs> he said we need, he's, always, he's always like dropping these gems. We need another space force. <laughs> like we already have one, but now we need another one. This is, this is going to be public. <laughs> so I think, <laughs> so bless his heart. So then it's kind of like, um, yeah, like we've we have secret technology, and you know we still live in on a in a world of these sovereign nations, and yeah, they want to keep their their technology secret and share with who they choose to share with. So yeah, we have a a robust 
<laughs> um, probably mind-bending space program. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So um, I think that, in my opinion, so if you're sort of working from the sovereign nation um, threat angle, you're not going to go for extraterrestrial. Now, okay, I want to back up a minute. That that robust space technology that's that these different countries own, I think much of that was back engineered and also co-created with certain extraterrestrial races. No doubt about it, in my mind. Hmm. But now you have to get to the place where, you know, we've got our uh, Space Force uh, infrastructure. So you got to get your infrastructure in place. Okay. So you have to have your infrastructure in place enough so that you know that you are sort of like king of the hill. You know that, you know, nobody can really hurt you or harm you and you've got your allies all lined up. Then at that point, you can start talking about the extraterrestrial presence. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. Hmm. That a lot of these craft that we saw for, for decades was our craft it was our experimental craft but that we also have extraterrestrial an extraterrestrial presence that comes in craft but also comes in consciousness for the most part mm. yeah i i completely agree there so, so um sorry go ahead I, I was just going to say, so it's interesting. You sort of like hang your political or your national security to a craft. That's what they're doing. They're hanging, they're hanging their national security on a craft. You know, that's a, that's a strategy. They're, you're not hanging it on consciousness. You're hanging it on consciousness only by virtue of the fact that you want to control consciousness and shut it down. I don't know. I've been I've been reading a book by I, actually a man in the UK named Robert Temple, mm -hmm. a, a wonderful researcher named Robert Temple, and um, he's he's written some great books. And one of his books was he took he took some um, the 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 like a twenty four volume um, text of a Chinese um, Chinese technology and science. Okay, and he sort of took it down into one book that's, you know, readable. And for most people like me and um, that don't want to wade through the 24, 24, 25 volumes. But the thing that comes out so interesting in this, and that's why, you know, this, this is so empowering to me. So if we look at China, China was centuries, centuries ahead of the West in math and science and agriculture, you name it. I mean, things that we in the West claim we invented, uh, au contraire, you know, China had them centuries before we did. But what China did was it moved their, their, um, their people into more of this kind of communistic, um, communal sort of groupthink, hivethink mentality. And when they did that, they lost their uh, the consciousness ability of their of their culture to go out into the field of consciousness and to invent things and bring them and bring them back in. And so, um, you know, if you're going to base your national prominence on 
uh, or your sovereign prominence, say, you know, the UK and the US are very close. So we're going to base our strategy on these craft. Okay. And then we're going to shut down consciousness. Well, you can end up like China. You know, where does China send all their scientists and and uh, send all their technology people? They send them to the West. That's where they're all they all get educated. So you know, you can't have you can't have a culture and a civilization that shut down that shuts down consciousness, and at the same time, you know have a culture that you think is going to be inventive and move us into the next, the next exoconscious civilization. You got to make a choice. Yeah, definitely. I think it's important that people are allowed to form their own concept of the world around them and have the freedom to do that. Yeah. Morally autonomous, morally autonomous individuals, sovereign, morally autonomous individuals. Hmm. You have to you you have to have that in culture. Otherwise, the, you shut down the field of consciousness to most of your most of your populace, and then you you become a desert. Hmm. I don't want that. <laughs> so we're just about out of time here. So before we go, what are you currently working on? Currently, I am. Um, I'm going to be speaking. I don't know. This is an international audience, so I'm going to be speaking at the International UFO uh, Conference. It's in Phoenix, Arizona, but it's going to be totally live streamed this year. So, if you're at all interested in that, I'm going to be speaking. It's in September. It's um, it's it, it's IUFO Congress, and um, I'm also going to be running uh, ET experiencer groups for about four days at the conference. So. Um, it's all going to be live streamed, everything available all throughout the world. So be a fun thing if, if people in your audience are interested in it. Um, I'm also working on, um, I'm, I haven't formally uh, published my book, uh, Exoconscious Humans, Claiming Your Psychic Intelligence in a Transhuman World. So I'm kind of working on getting that formally launched. I'm looking for a cover, somebody to design a cover for me. So if anybody in your audience wants to do a cover, <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> I'm working on that. I'm also working on, um, because the book is um, full of information, I'm going to be offering um, uh, a course, a digital course that goes along with it. So we can kind of read the book together and I can kind of do teachings and then we can kind of teach each other teach each other the book. I'm working on that. Um, I'm also working on putting together some more um, avenues to access my exoconsciousness work. Uh, if people want to work with me, they can go into my website and um, click on that to work with me and um, I'll get back to them. And I'm also working on IXO every day. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to be sending out a newsletter. If you want to join the newsletter and kind of find out what we're what we're doing, I think um, if it's okay, Rick, I put you on the newsletter. Um, of course, yes. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. And I'll put your podcast on. So um, yeah, so just working hard at IXO and trying to bring that together. So beyond that, I'm a wife and mother and <laughs> just living well, my they're, life. They're very hard jobs. <laughs> Yeah, those are hard ones. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Yeah, it's a delight. It's a delight to be with you. I wish you all the best. Thank you. If people want to find out more about you and your work, how best do they do that? 
So exoconsciousness.com. And if you can't spell it, you can try my name, Rebecca Hardcastle Wright. Cool. Well, I'll make sure to put all that information in the show notes. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. Have a nice day, Rick. Thank you so much. I wonder if when J. Allen Hynek developed his classification system of close encounters, he ever thought how it might be extended to include an even broader range of experiences, such as exoconsciousness. It's a really interesting idea that I have to admit I'm still trying to get my head around a little. The phenomenon Rebecca describes sounds similar to a religious experience, the result of a magical ritual or a shamanic journey. These can all be very rewarding for the people that have had such experiences, if they are allowed time to understand them on their own terms without the need to fit it into a predetermined framework. And this seems to be what is happening here. The potential for scientific breakthroughs and their application to help society prepare for a future away from planet Earth are also intriguing and seem like a healthy counterbalance to the materialistic nature of other futurist movements like transhumanism. As Rebecca mentioned when she talked about her work with Edgar Mitchell, travelling into space can be a life-changing event, often affecting a person's entire outlook on life, so it seems prudent to examine ways to help normalise that experience by exploring some of the less well-charted aspects of our reality that exist outside of standard model thinking. Well, that's all for now. As ever, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating and reviewing it, sharing it on social media, and following the podcast on Twitter if you aren't doing so already. It all really helps the show to grow and find new listeners. You can now also donate to the show via coffee. I've been making some of the Sphere for almost two years now, and have been unsure how best to set up the ability for people to financially support the podcast. It will always be free to listen to, but the support of listeners like yourself is vital to its future, and for the cost of a cup of coffee, you can now be part of that. You can find some of the Sphere on Twitter at spherical underscore pod, and on most of the well-known podcast platforms. If you'd like to get in touch with me at SphereHQ, please email someothersphere at gmail.com. It'd be lovely to hear from you. Until next time, be safe and well, and thank you very much for listening.